Hey, welcome back to the Reframed Podcast. Today, Pastor Rick and myself are going to be talking and continuing our conversation on the problems people have when it comes to God, religion, faith, and following Jesus. And so last time we had talked about uh, the problem of evil and why uh, it's hard to believe in a God that is loving when there's so much evil and pain and suffering in our world. And so today, Pastor Rick and I are going to continue our conversation. Uh, And Pastor Rick, I want to talk primarily about uh, the issue of exclusivity. So when Jesus says that no one comes to the Father, or no one goes to heaven or experiences eternal life except through faith in Jesus, um, how can that be true when there are so many other religions? Like how can Jesus be the only way and why are other religions wrong? Yeah, because uh, these are questions that people have and they're questions that people raise. And I think more so Christians need to be able to answer that because I don't think a lot of them and a lot of us know how. Uh, that's actually, uh, there was a, a time when I was in New York uh, uh, on a, a missions trip and we uh, were on the street doing some evangelism and stuff and it was pretty neat. But uh, somebody questioned me on that very question, like, how can you be sure that Jesus is the way to heaven, that Jesus is uh, who he says he was, and that all other religions are wrong? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I couldn't answer it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than, you know, being uh, arrogant and saying, I'm right and you're wrong, (laughs) uh, I didn't have an answer. And so how can Christians answer that question of Jesus is the only way to God? Okay. Uh, I would start, first of all, with that whole issue of exclusivity, like uh, that this one religion is right. Not why is Jesus, but just the fact that you were saying your religion, your view is right, mm-hmm. and the others are wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's not unique, because there are, um, there are contradictions in every single religion. And so when you put two things that are opposites together— they both can't both be true. So when you look at Islam versus Shintoism, you know, versus Hinduism, they all have differing claims. And so it's not like all of those other religions are gr- agreeing and only Christianity stands as the exclusive religion. They're all exclusive mm-hmm. because every single one of them says that their way is the only way. So if you take a topic like uh, the afterlife, what is the afterlife? You know, they can't both be right. Or they, When you take two of them, one might say there is no afterlife whatsoever. Christianity has a very defined idea of what the afterlife looks like. Well, both of those can't be true. But if you compared Islam with some other religion, they would have a different view of the afterlife as well. So mm-hmm. they both can't be true. So it's not like Christianity sitting out there all by itself saying... Um, we are the only way, and we're exclusive, and, but, and all of the rest of the religions of the world are all together in one group saying, we all believe that we can all go to God in any way we want, yeah. but Christianity's out there kind of all by himself. No, they all claim exclusivity. Right. So that's not unique amongst Christianity. So the thing then to—sorry about that. <laughs> the thing then yeah. to uh, ask is— how do we know then that the claims of Jesus are true? Right. Because he, is, he did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yep. No one comes to the Father except yep. through me. So he was making a very exclusive claim. He was very upfront with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's you, you land on that, I think, when you first understand that 
we're not the only ones that say we're exclusive. Right. And I think I think like the law of of contradiction, which is essentially what what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's a philosophical arena argument that people make uh, is one of I would say it's limited primarily to Western culture. Uh-huh. Um, now, I'm, I'm not very cultured. Like I've, uh-huh. I've only been I think the most the furthest south I've been is Florida. Uh, and that was just for a vacation to Disney. And so I haven't even like really experienced much of the world. But growing up in Canada, like I can remember in high school, uh, they like we were taught in our history class. Um, I can remember like my my teacher talking about how like in Canada, we allow every religion to be its own thing. And everybody has a right to believe what they want to believe, to accept what truth they want to believe. Uh, and that's like very, very standard Canadian culture. Like it's very amoral. Like you do you, you believe what you want to believe, and and all truth is real truth, and your perception is real, and no one can take that away from you. Um, but I don't think the rest of the world operates that way, uh, especially when you talk about like Islam and and other religions. Uh, I feel like if we were to go to other countries, uh, they wouldn't agree with that. Oh, that definitely mindset of. Yeah. Believing whatever you want to believe. And so I feel like it very much so is a Western line of thinking, but uh, well, it it's dep- real. It, it depends. Like, uh, I mean, and of course, the U.S. is that way, too. Right. It's yeah. we even have registered Satanism as a, a legal religion in our country and have started the Church of Satan and the 1960s so which is like polar opposite of christianity right, right? so uh so we we make room for all all faiths but yeah. but even some asian cultures do like hinduism mm-hmm. makes room to believe in any god you know so if you were to go to a hindu over in india or something and share jesus with them they might be completely agreeing to you but right. they're going to and disagreeing all at the same yeah cuz it's going to yeah. be i believe in jesus and 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 all these yeah. other cuz they got like over a million gods where we Crazy. would say no, it's just Jesus. So yeah, it, it, but you're right. In Islam, you believe in Allah, and that's it. And yep. you know, and there's there's no room for anything else mm-hmm. to happen there. It's illegal to believe in anything else. Yep. In some other countries around the world. So yep. that's very true. So why why would it be hard uh, for people in Western culture to? Oh, my voice just cracked. Hitting puberty all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, why would it be hard for people in, let's say, North America to conclude that uh, when we're looking for the path to eternal life, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus is the only way. Uh, because I'm finding more and more when I run into people my age, um, if let's say you're wearing a blue shirt, uh, I find it a very common conversation that if I think you're wearing a blue shirt, but uh, little Kenny thinks you're wearing orange, uh, it's very much so culturally normal for us to think that we're both right. Right, relativism, uh, right? Right, but we can't be, because one of us is right. Yeah. One of those things is true, or we're both wrong. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can be r- both right at the same time. Yeah. Uh, because blue is very clearly blue, and orange is very clearly orange. And so I think relativism uh, falls apart when things contradict one another. Yeah. That, but you, s- you asked claims, the question, right? how is it that if somebody's on a on trying to find a path to mm-hmm. eternity. Yep. You know, um, and I think that that is perhaps a misnomer. I don't know that people are trying to find a path to eternity. I think people. Oh, that's interesting. I think people who are looking for answers are trying to find something that helps them right now, in mm-hmm. in this life. 
You know, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, so it's very me-centered. So then it yeah. comes down to what is going to make my life better, mm-hmm. what's going to help me out. And Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice, mm-hmm. and nobody wants that message. No. Nope. Yeah, so it's no. not a popular message, right? <laughs> uh, trust me, I yeah. know all about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just spoke about it last weekend. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was. I, so it was the first time preaching in six months, and I can I like very clearly people sitting in the room, and I'm telling them that Jesus called them to die. Um, yep. Not that not that dying to your selfishness and your own desires is a prerequisite for salvation and accepting Jesus, but right. afterward, like if you're going to say you believe in Jesus and follow Him and His teachings, uh, a call to lay aside your own selfishness and desire is something Jesus calls us to. Uh, and I was saying that this past weekend uh, as we're recording this, and, man, the level of discomfort in the room was, <laughs> like, off the charts. People were really put off by that, um, which, like, I don't... Some of these people, I don't understand why they're put off by it because they're, they're very much so, like, engaged, passionate followers of Jesus. But there's something about being confronted with our own pride that just... Yeah. does not well you good. quoted in that sermon you quoted when jesus said you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself take up your cross mm-hmm. daily yep. and follow me right? right and and so that's a call to take up your cross was a call to literally die and i think when jesus said that and the other disciples reiterated it in their various writings that they meant yeah die to selfishness but i think they also meant die mm-hmm. because a lot of them were going to face a lion's den or right. face the arena it, it, they had to truly lay down their life. Yeah, and I mean, when we look through history, the core group of Jesus's followers were martyrs. Like they did, right? Well, and even in countries today, you know, there there are certain countries when a uh, a person, if they believe in Jesus and they get baptized at that moment, mm-hmm. their life is literally in danger. So to say yes to Jesus is to be willing to die. And I think that the salvation moment is laying down your life and saying that it's, you know, my life has now got to be totally subsumed and absorbed in Jesus Christ. And that is a high call. Yeah. And, and the only, so people that are kind of looking for a better life now, that's not going to appeal to them. The only person that's really going to latch onto that is the one that understands who Jesus really is. Right. And the eternal stakes, the, the eternal destinies that are at stake and, and what's, that life is more than this physical existence. There's stuff mm. beyond the grave, and that, that broadens their perspective of what reality is, right. and then that helps to shape it. Because I, what did Peter say? This mo- Talking about our suffering here, he said, this momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared with the glories that will follow. Mm-hmm. So, But if you don't have that perspective, then Christianity is a bad deal. And Paul even said, if there is no resurrection, then we, of all people, are most to be pitied. Uh, because we're 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 sacrificing everything, and if there's if there's no resurrection, what the heck are we doing this for? Right. You know. Yeah. That's a really good point, uh, especially. I think that's why we need to take baptism mm. incredibly serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, baptism is that moment where, uh, I mean, it's an for those pe- for those who might be listening and do not know what baptism is. Essentially, it is a a sacrament or uh, kind of like a, a ritual that we we adhold to in the church where it symbolizes uh, an outward expression. So it's a physical act of what we have come to believe and conclude to uh, 
uh, inwardly in our mind and our heart. And so baptism symbolizes dying to yourself, mm-hmm. but being raised in the new life that Jesus has come to give. Right. Um, but it's also a declaration of I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for Christ, as Paul would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that testimony is what it's that's the point at which people in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. Right. Where it's put to the test, because if, if they just profess that they're a follower of Christ, I don't think uh, often they are in danger of their lives mm-hmm. at that point, because there's mm-hmm. still a chance to change them. Right. But when they get baptized, that's crossing a line, and yep. that's where their lives become in jeopardy. Mm. So there's something very powerful about baptism. So it, it, it illustrates a, a level of commitment mm-hmm. um, and covenant, really. Like, I am now a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I w- would think, uh, I correlate that with the, the concept of circumcision uh, that Abraham had to undergo when God gave Abraham his covenant to bless him and to fill the earth with uh, the nation uh, of Abraham's offspring, which later became the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, maybe you can elaborate on this, but why do we see in probably all over the place, but predominantly in North America, because that's the context that I know, uh, of Christians not being as, let's say, 100% sold out to the fact that we are followers of Jesus, and Jesus is the only way, even after we've been baptized. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned stories of people in uh, Middle Eastern countries, but when they become baptized, they are understanding that I'm one now breaking the law, I've deserted the religion of my country, and most likely my family, and I'm also putting myself in danger. Um, Yeah, I think probably uh, maybe Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about uh, cheap grace, and I think in our country this that Christianity has been shaped to really cater to our selfish desires, and it's so easy to Hmm. be a Christian. Uh, maybe it's getting harder as time goes on in the season we're in now, but um, there really is no call for sacrifice. There's no, our needs are all met. You know, we live in the land of prosperity. Right. And so, uh, and it, it was traditionally, historically, there were Christian values that shaped the nation's conscience. Uh, we're drifting from that now, but that's how it was. So to to choose Christianity would have been, just natural it would have been normal there was there is no sacrifice at all yeah and so and a lot of times the gospel was truncated i mean it was it was just uh reduced down to do you believe jesus is god yes say this prayer ask jesus into your heart lord please forgive me my sins come into my heart amen congratulations you're saved and we send them on their way and Mm -hmm. there was never any call to the cost and jesus um well, if we take, for example, the rich young ruler that said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and Jesus said, well, you know the law. Well, what does it say? And he said, well, love God with all your heart. You know, don't steal. He goes through a couple of them. And he said, and I've done these from the time that I was a young boy. And Jesus said, well, you've done well, but one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he, and he wasn't trying to say that that's the way someone gets saved, but that was a God in his life. And Jesus was zeroing in on that man's heart, like there can't be any idols. Mm. And when that man was saddened and and was crestfallen because of that challenge, it says that Jesus let him leave. 
He, you know, now a modern day evangelist might have said, well, let's talk about that a little bit and, and tried to give him a sales job to make it easier yeah. to say yes. But Jesus didn't. He said, no, this is the cost. If you really believe in me, yeah. this is the cost of doing this. this is how you demonstrate that your faith is real. And when the guy wasn't there, Jesus let him walk away. Now, I don't think we we make it so easy for people. And, I, and salvation's free, but we make it so easy for people that they don't really need to commit their life to Jesus. They just need to mouth the prayer. So once they go through that ritual, if they haven't really been maybe even born again, they're just religious, or they've had some kind of a pre-conversion experience, and maybe we've, we've, uh, they're being drawn to God, and we've sanctioned them as already saved, and maybe that hasn't really happened yet, and they haven't really come to faith in Christ— has anything really changed? And so then it's uh, easy to just go from that baptism moment and go out and live the way they want to live, because in their mind, the whole Christian contract was about just finding something that makes my life better. Cause, and again, you know, if, if your search for a religion is based on what's going to meet my needs, what's going to fit my lifestyle, what's going to work for me— mm-hmm. Um, then you could go from one religion to another, and maybe in different right. seasons of your life yeah. that this works for now, but maybe that'll work for later. But if if you are basing this on the fact that there is a God, and Jesus is God, mm-hmm. then it then he has the authority to say, how is it that I have a relationship with him? And now the stakes are bigger than what just works for me. It's about right. it's about bigger issues than that. Yep. Yep. And I think. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like this is these are things that as a youth pastor I struggle with. Well, let's see. We hold youth group every Sunday. So every Sunday I struggle with these issues of mm-hmm. uh the the concept of that yeah, Jesus came to bring life and grace and restoration for your heart and your soul. And I think through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, he can renew your mind uh to right thinking. Uh, and I think Jesus can show us how to really live with real meaning and real purpose. But it comes to, uh, like you said, sacrificing our own selfish desires or uh, giving ourselves to something bigger than our own self. And yeah. And what do you think happens when you um, I heard a guy talking about this the other day on the radio. He was preaching the gospel and he was talking about heaven and hell. Hmm. And he was making the, known the realities of an eternal destiny, mm-hmm. right? Because that has to come into the picture. Jesus yep. spoke about hell more than he did heaven, yep. and heaven, is, hell is a reality, and and that's that reality that there's existence beyond the grave. But the kickback that this pastor got was that that was abusive. That was child abuse to teach that to young people, and was being scorned and <laughs> condemned because he would talk about something like that. And so I think a lot of times people can be intimidated into laying out what's really at stake. And so if all that's at stake is just uh, living a better life and, and maybe making a significant contribution to the world, well, I could join the Peace Corps and do that. Right. Yep. So it's, Well, really, I feel like, I mean, if you were to take the words Jesus and gospel out of what you were just saying, all I would come to understand is moralism yeah like just or humanitarianism right be a good person do good yeah to all join which, the green movement yeah which i mean <laughs> yeah. isn't isn't bad in itself in the sense that like i mean as humans we should be doing good like and that's a that's a christian moral right 
but it's for a greater purpose. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's where a lot of people get lost in the weeds is that, um, like when you look at all roads lead to heaven kind of thing, like all religions lead to heaven and Jesus comes and says, no, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the father uh, or no one goes to heaven except through believing in me. Uh, it's not just, uh, a call to believing in, in something exclusively. It's also following something exclusively, uh, which, I think is a lost commitment in our culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like just think of let's, let's look at marriage for a second, right? Like Mm -hmm. the whole purpose and and concept of marriage is going exclusive with one individual for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. um, and binding yourself to uh, your significant other, uh, both in body, mind and soul. Um, Yet we don't teach that anymore. No, uh, and, and now we it seems like <laughs> if it doesn't work, uh, there's always divorce, right? And it is seen as just normal. Yeah. It's totally accepted yeah. and seen as normal and and uh yeah, and if marriage is a metaphor, I mean if yeah, if marriage is a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and his church. Mm-hmm. And we've defined marriage as a temporary contract that if it doesn't work out, you just find another partner. Yeah, and that is a metaphor that God established in mm-hmm. Ephesians and in Genesis. It yep. says that that is the metaphor. Then, if that basic human relationship is expendable and changeable, then why would we believe that a relationship with God is you know exclusive and eternal right. and shift around? Well, Jesus, I'll try Jesus out. If he doesn't yep. work out for me, I'll I'll go to something else. That's a really, really good explanation of I think of how a lot of people view the mm. church and more than just the church in the sense of I'm um, going to a local a local uh, building on the corner of a street but yeah really religion is I'm, I'm just trying something out right um, I mean it makes sense because there's there's people who I mean how many times do people have career changes right yeah uh, or how many times uh, for me, a, a common one is, well, I'll try this hobby out. If I don't like it, meh, I'll try something new, right? And it's no nonchalant yet. <laughs> I was reflecting on this a few weeks ago. If You know, there were some of the hobbies that I've tried that if I would have stuck with it for another three months, I probably would have fallen in love with it mm-hmm. and still do it to this day. But because I don't have any grit and commitment to push through the yeah. awkward, hard phase, uh, I never get to the richness of what something could bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that is a lot of what is being revealed in this season. Mm. Uh, now I don't think the angst and the anxiety in people is predominantly to uh, the realities of COVID. I mean, it's still sketchy and right. it's still like uh, a little freaky to think that uh, this pandemic uh, could rise and continue to rise here in the U S and I mean, in Aroostook County, we've been quite removed from it, Right, but there's, there's cases present and it is a little unsettling to think that it could go rampant at any moment yeah. simply because it's so unpredictable. But I feel like the more angst and anxiety I see in people is this grasp for real meaning and purpose in life. Uh, because I don't think as a culture, we've done a good job at cultivating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, I think the church has done a pretty poor job at 
cultivating real commitment in people who profess to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, like you said, we've pretty much watered down the call. Why do you think to that's follow happened? Jesus? Why do you think that the church has kind of dropped the ball on really pushing for a, a high call and a high commitment from people? Um, I think some of it has to come down to uh, the fact that we've become pretty concerned with with numbers and mm. you know most churches are very programmatic. Okay. Uh, they have a ton of events for everybody in every walk of life in every area, uh, and so. Okay, so your answer there just, uh, re- and that's a, I think you're right on. And but that answer reveals that church, in our culture, is predominantly thought of as an institution mm, rather yeah. than being thought of as yeah. an organism. Yep. And if it's if it's an organism, then you're joining a living body. That's a whole right. different ball game than yep. joining an institution. Right. I actually, I, I had a conversation with some friends uh, just this past weekend on that that very topic, and we were talking about, you know, the realities of the church is being hindered, and, and people are coming after the church in this season, and uh, in one sense, I'm really tired of people complaining about it, because mm-hmm. uh, I was just like, all right, get over it. Like, this is just reality. This is what is. Uh, you just deal with the hand that you've been given, um, but I tend to be a little more on the optimistic side of things and not pessimistic so I, I have a hard time with complaining people but we were talking about uh, the concept of the organized church yeah. um, versus uh, as you mentioned the organism of the church the living moving right. movement of Jesus in our world and uh, and we got talking through the realities of the restrictions that are put on the institution or the organization of the church yeah. uh, and I was like well what happens if that's all ripped away like let's say uh, everything is shut down, and the institutionalized, organized church uh, is forced to stop in America. I was like, but will God's church or the people of God be able to thrive? Like, if we were to rip away the institution, would the people of God, the Christians, still be able to thrive and move mm-hmm. in our world and community? And there was a long pause, and and one of my friends uh, said, well, I sure hope so. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to that fact, like the real followers of Jesus who authentically have experienced his presence and power in their life, regardless of the institution, open or closed, will still follow Jesus in all circumstances. Isn't it interesting that because church is predominantly institutional, I think, in America, when we talk about persecution— it's things like you have to wear a mask or you can't sing in, in the service or you're not even allowed to gather in the building or you're limited to 50 people or all of the different restrictions that are being put on us yeah. right now, and that's persecution because it's all about the institution. Right. But in I, I remember when I was in India visiting with a friend there that uh, their car was car-bombed and blown up because they were people were trying to kill them. Radical Hindus were trying to kill them because wow. they were followers of Jesus. Wow. And so for them, persecution is about people dying because the church there is people. The church is an organism. So persecution is about attacking the people. Where here it's about attacking Mm. the institution. So I don't know, maybe maybe some of the hardships that the church goes... I mean, I don't wish hardship on anyone. I don't like it either. But maybe some of those will strip some of that away and force us to get back to saying, well, what what is the church really? 
Yeah. And and how is it? How did Jesus intend it to function? You know, and maybe the good Jesus, because God will always bring good out of everything. Maybe some of the good God will bring out of this is to redefine for us, help us to get back and redefine for ourselves, according to Scripture's definition, what the church is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You want to elaborate on that though, because uh, I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. this season could be very refining, and I think a lot of people who claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus will be forced to either get on the bus mm-hmm. or get off the bus, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. But what what does it really look like to be the church? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, what did it biblical perspective. what did it look like? Probably the first place we see it, of course, is in Acts, mm-hmm. right? So, what did it look like in the Book of Acts? You know, people gathered for teaching, they gathered for prayer, uh, so there was a gathering, but they also were engaged in a in a mission. You talked about God's kingdom, and that yep. that was the in your sermon, and that was the uh, the impetus that drove them. But here's the funny thing: they were persecuted, right? They were all yep. gathered in Jerusalem. They were this the Holy Spirit had been poured out. This extraordinary thing was happening. There was a buzz, like re- just revival fires, f- just burning. Everybody's so excited yeah. to be there. And then persecution hits, mm-hmm. and everybody scattered. And and it, maybe that God allowed that to to get them out of that sweet spot to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to spread the mm-hmm. gospel. But what did they do when persecution hit? It didn't shut the whole thing down. It right. just caused the whole thing to spread more as they took the gospel with them. Huh. It's kind. It's kind of like the when the Greeks invented um, this magical kind of fire. I forget what it was called, but when you when you poured water on it, it actually burned more. And so they would shoot fireballs at their enemies, and when they tried to put it out with water, it actually spread the fire. Wow, that's and, smart. and that that's um, that's what I think is. It happened in that early church, man. There, there was just great fire going, and try, and and what it did is it just caused it to actually sp- spread more. So, th- that's because the church was the people, the message of the gospel, the presence of God in their lives, and that interaction using the word of God and prayer and building one another up. All of those issues. So there was no programming. They didn't. They didn't have. You know, no offense, but they didn't have youth ministry. <laughs> they didn't have children's ministry. They didn't have a worship leader. You know, they didn't have prayer breakfasts, and they didn't have this event and that event. And they didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have any of that. Yeah. They had prayer. They had ministry of the word through the apostles, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that was pretty much it. That was pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're implying is I don't need a job. <laughs> we, we, none of us do. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, most of them weren't weren't paid. Uh, pastors and apostles and prophets and yeah. all that stuff anyways. I mean, I think, well, I mean, Paul tells them, tells the church to supplement uh, and fund his missionary journey because, well, it cost money to sail all over the known world at that time, but uh, he was also a tent maker. Yep, um, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's ironic uh, that you mention uh, that the more the church was scattered, uh, the more the church grew. Uh, and it's it's funny to see that uh, when the church began in the early church and the movement of Jesus started, the more that the uh, it was the Roman Empire, right? Yeah, uh, tried to destroy it, uh, the larger it got. Well, yeah, when did the church really start to become corrupted? It was when mm. Constantine institutionalized it. Yeah, exactly. Ah, yeah, and that's when that's when trouble came in. Yeah, because then political power got in there yep. and. You know, and and uh, I, as I, I was studying church history for some projects I was working on, and I was blown away uh, to realize that even some of our core doctrines, 
on on the deity of Jesus mm-hmm. and things like that, and which view it was. I mean, there was different slivers of different kinds of ways to express that idea, and the idea that won the day was dependent upon which theologian was friends with which emperor. <laughs> so, so it was all of, it was political. The whole, oh, you know, man. so much of it was political. You know, and that's what happened is the church became political, became very wealthy, yep. and uh, suddenly, um, you know, people would pay to have their sons become priests because that was a good living because yep. the church paid for everything. So if it was a powerful father, he might he might pay the way for a son to be a priest. So it wasn't anything about God calling. It was about this is a career path for you. Hmm. You know, and so it was just, it became a business. Wow. How far we've come. (laughs) How far we've come. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the Reframe Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the time that we had together today. Be sure to look for part two of this conversation with Pastor Rick and myself, Pastor Parker, as we continue to talk about why people struggle to follow Jesus in this world that we live in today. See you next time on the Reframe Podcast.